Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com, and you can find us on Twitter at at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fasimas, I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. But before we get to this week's show... Yes, don't forget, if you listen to us, like us. Give us yes. a give us a thumbs up. Give us some feedback. Uh, make sure that you subscribe on iTunes. Uh, let us know that you're listening. We love feedback. We love to hear from our listeners, and yeah. we just can't get enough of it. We, and we're we, also interested in your suggestions. Yeah, we love talking to each other, but we love to hear from you as well. So, all right, this week on More to Come, ALA Midwinter Meeting in Seattle. Librarians everywhere you look. <laughs> Angoulême. The great European uh, comics convention layoffs at DC. Um, a sign of New York, St. Mark's Comics is closing. Uh, so, the ALA Midwinter. I guess that's my cue. <laughs> it is. But before we get going, yeah. Calvin, I heard that uh, when you talk in the opening about being the editor, co-editor of PW Comics World, you might have to change that, because I hear you're editing something else right Oh, now. yes, I guess I slipped my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, just PW Comics World, but also... We, they're talking about the fanatic, and you know... <laughs> not the thing that worried people say about me behind my back. Mm-hmm. No, this is a new newsletter. In some ways, you could think of it as a revived newsletter. I mean, some of our listeners will remember uh, PW Comics Week and uh, its sequel, PW Comics World. But now well, we're going to relaunch um, uh, the newsletter. It's going to be called The Fanatic. It's going to be devoted both to comics and to pop culture in general. And we're going to harvest stories from across uh, the PW's content. Uh, about everything from science fiction to crime and, uh, you know, and it, we'll, we'll probably throw in some movie talk. In addition, we'll, you know, it will also feature, uh, the podcast, you know, uh, news from around the web. Um, we're gonna revive, uh, our panel mania comics excerpts. Uh, and we'll have some original stories as well. So tune in, um, next week on, um, I think, what, Wednesday? It'll be the first and the third Wednesday of every month. Now, when he says harvesting content, that may sound lame and clickbaity to you listeners, but what he really means is that instead of having to surf all over the PW website, all your pop culture related content will be delivered to you in one easy to find tasty chunk. That's right. And you know newsletters are super hot now. So that's <laughs> yes, like, are. you know, that's a great idea, uh, you Calvin. Know what? All the kids are doing them. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the 90s are back not only in, you know, ill-advised dresses, but also in newsletters. And newsletters are a much better idea. Yes. Just when you thought the newsletter thing was over. Now, Calvin, how can we subscribe to this? Uh, you know, if you go to Publishers Weekly, uh, you can go to the newsletter queue and that's where you can sign up for all of Publishers Weekly's newsletters. Well, Will there I- be a link on the PW? Comics World, uh, publishersweekly.com slash comics. I certainly hope so. (laughs) 
So I would say go to the uh, Publishers Weekly site. You'll see a link for our newsletters, and you can should sign up. Yeah. I'm trying to do it now. Yeah. Well, you know, the the art department may not have gotten yeah, it. Yeah, it's not up there <laughs> I, yet. I've gotten yeah. it up yet. Yeah. So but we'll, it'll be up by so next week. So we'll remind you. We'll be we'll be yes. all promoting this. Yeah, we'll hype it every so, year. Uh, you know, hey, listen. All right. Uh, just equal time. You know, the Beat has a newsletter as well. So if you go to the yes, Beat. Yes, and it's a the great one, too. Comicsbeat.com slash newsletter, you will get a sign-up sheet for my humble newsletter where, you know, yeah. Uh, and Calvin, you're, you will be doing original co- content that appears first in the newsletter, yes, there'll right? be Yes, yeah. absolutely. There yeah. will be some original content, and we will try to break some stories as well. Um, but, but part of it really is to kind of uh, bring together a lot of PW's content and, and present it in, in an easy-to-find mode. Right. That's All right. fantastic. All right. But enough about me yes. and the fanatic. Well, let's hear about you and your trip yes, to Seattle let's talk about for me ALA Midwinter. ALA Midwinter uh, really is my first trip to Seattle, my first trip to ALA Midwinter. Uh, um, I mentioned it on the podcast before. This year I've been added to the, the Board of Trustees for the Freedom to Read Foundation, um, part of the ALA that fights for your right to read. Uh, it is also the only intellectual property or intellectual freedom committee on the ALA, and they have, they have multiple committees about uh, intellectual freedom, but we're the only one that actually can initiate litigation Ooh. in support of libraries or or really anyone. Um, so uh, um, when I wasn't sitting in a room listening to um, making motions and talking about uh, our agenda, uh, I got a chance to walk the floor at ALA. Meet the librarians. It's really, uh, really pretty amazing. Uh, since I had never been before. Uh, and one of the thi- what uh, the list of people that I was able to encounter. Uh, oh boy, was great. Calvin's um, pulling out a big yes. I've got a list here somewhere because like you know Santa's I have no memory. List. So the first thing I did, I went to Pike's Place Market. The tremendous. <laughs> the first thing I did when I went to see one hundred year old marketplace. Uh, that's really awesome. Uh, it's really great. Um, really, the the convention center, the hotels, the market. It's all really. Uh, you know, strategically located, so it's very convenient. But uh, I immediately went to the Diamond booth. You want to find all the comics people at a convention? Look for Diamond. So I did. I found the the Diamond booth. I had a chance to talk with Eric Shanauer, who was signing copies of of um, uh, his Trojan War masterpiece. Age of Bronze. Age of Bronze. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> this, this. So I got to get. I got a chance. In fact, there's a picture of Eric up on the uh, PW Comics World Facebook page right now. Uh, Joel Christian Gill, uh, who did the uh, series of books about Black history, Strange Fruit, was signing copies of Fast Enough, his new kids kids book, uh, kids picture book about Bessie Stringfield. Uh, is her as a kid? This is the black woman who. You know, rode a motorcycle across the U.S. I believe it, like it's in the 1940s. Um, used the Green Book. Um, actually, unlike the movie, she actually used it. Mm. Um, uh, and went on from there. Laura Miracle, the uh, young adult writer, was signing copies of her uh, DC Inc. Uh, graphic novel, uh, Under the Moon, uh, done with artist Isaac Goodhart. Uh, let's see. I talk with the people at Boom. Um, now, now, yeah. Calvin, I, uh, interesting that you and I both had our first ALAs within a year of each other. But yes, because you, you were there a year right, before. I went, but mm-hmm. I went to summer ALA and mm-hmm. you went to midwinter. Uh, my understanding is that midwinter is a little smaller. I mean, was it a it gigantic uh, exhibit well, floor or? It was, you know, it's not gigantic in the sense that we think of for okay. comics That's conventions. That's what I've always heard, yeah. Now, I'm told that the annual, mm-hmm. 
approaches more yes. well, the size of So the Comic-Con annual is. was at the New Orleans Convention Center, mm-hmm. and it was huge. Yeah. I mean, it was like you barely could, you know, you had to plan to walk from one end to the other. I mean, it took up the whole convention center. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been to Seattle's convention center. It's where they hold Emerald City Comic Con. Right, exactly. And, yes. But it's more of a Lego Jenga game where you have all these different floors. So yes. uh, it's a lot smaller than New Orleans. Yes. So you couldn't fit it there, to be honest. Uh, you couldn't fit a yeah. summer mm-hmm. there. So it, 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 so in that sense, and people told me this is a much smaller gathering. But, you know, there was a great show of comics publishers there for sure. Uh, and, of course, librarians are everywhere. And um, later on in the show, I've got two interviews, uh, one with uh, Joel Christian Gill about his new book and, and some of the things he's doing, and also with Amy Wright, a fabulous librarian. Uh, uh, you may have last heard of her when she was doing the uh, programming at New York Public for New York Comic Con, I think, about two years ago. Uh, since that time, she has moved around, she's going back to school, and she's been key in launching the graphic novel Roundtable that Heidi wrote about, I think, in our graphic novel uh, in libraries mm-hmm. feature yes. last year. Which so, had its first meetings at this ALA. Yes, 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 as so. a matter of fact. So she outlined some of the things that they, uh, the process of going and becoming a roundtable. So we've got that interview, interview coming up for Fantastic. you. We're big Amy. At the end I of the love show. Amy. She's, so, she's amazing. She really is. She really is. But, so uh, that yeah. was my time. But you mu- I'll leave out the stories about drinking craft beer. Oh, my goodness. But <laughs> I mean, you must have had just the best time, right? I had a great time, especially when uh, Jeremy Atkins took me to Cloudburst Brewery right down the street. There's so much to do in Seattle. We took a so, break from the floor. You know, time spent with librarians is amazing, and time yes, spent yes. in Seattle is amazing. And I imagine when you put the two of them together. It's heaven. Yeah. It's so, like we'll, we'll heaven. We'll have to hear I, I want to hear more about this trip, actually, but All we'll right. wait till we get offline. So, well, at the very same time, overseas was another, uh, you know, pilgrimage taking place with the Festival La Bande Désignée d'Angoulême in Angoulême, France, which Calvin and I have both been, but uh, we don't go every year. No. And sounds like it was an interesting show. Every everything I heard heard about it was very good. Uh, you know, the beat we have like daily reports from uh, mm-hmm. Jeremy Malou, who is an awesome translator, and he did his thoughts, took some photos, and um, you know, talked about really same kind of feeling. Uh, pretty notable. They, uh, the, every year at Angoulême, they pick a Grand Prix winner. Yes. Which is the cartoonist who will be the, uh, kind of marshal of the next festival. It's kind of a lifetime achievement award. And it was won by Rumiko Takahashi, yeah. the great mangaka. Finally. And, yeah, finally. Exactly. I mean, she's only one of the world's all-time great cartoonists. Uh, only the second woman to win. Also, only the second mangaka to win after yeah. Otomo. And the first woman to win is not well known here, and I've actually forgotten her name, which I'm really sad. Uh, she is a Franco Bell. I'll look it up while we're, yeah. while we're talking. Uh, but also, uh, there's a book you may not have heard of. Uh, it's called My Favorite Thing is Lobsters. <laughs> it's by a woman named Emil Ferris. I have and, to go look that uh, up. Yeah. Have, have you heard it? I think you'd like it, Calvin. Um, we'll it see. was, uh, that one, the Fav Door, uh, Fav Door. I can't. Can't. Close enough. Yeah, which is the 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 great prize, the book of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, the golden o- cat, right? Golden wild cat. Yeah, yeah. is mm-hmm. kind of how you. But it it really like calling it the wild cat is not. It's kind of like not accurate. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's the big prize. Yes, it's the best uh, book of the year. And uh, first off, uh, I was kidding before. We love this book. We yeah. love emo. And uh, another honor, just racking up the honors. Uh, Great triumph for a United States book. Uh, they don't yeah. win over there too much. 
Uh, and also, she is the first woman to win the Fauve d'Or I mean, in 14 years since Marjane Satrapi won uh, for Persepolis. So everyone is really saying that, and uh, a couple of uh, several of the other Fauve awards were won by female cartoonists. And yeah. you, you might remember us talking a few years ago, three oh. years ago, about you know the guy who uh, the managed boorish the show. management. Yes, the boorish management saying, you know, well, there are no women who can make comics. Uh, so, you know, just like there aren't any great women artists, and uh, so yeah. tough. And, um, yep. anyway, that's a big change. So, Elizabeth Vigay Lebrun would have something to say to him. Well, so would a lot of really yeah. great artists. Yeah, but yes, and you're right. She's a good call, Kate. Not as well known. Um, but, uh, it sounds like great. I, and, you know, uh, the rights tent, uh, for our purpose, uh, the rights tent, which is where publishers and managers, uh, agents and editors uh, from around the world show up to meet and license different books from different countries, uh, was twice as big this year. Yeah. I heard it was absolutely jammed. So we've seen a huge uh, influx of books from around the world. Yeah. Well, and one thing is that, I mean, typically Angolim is something that you only hear at niche places such as PW Comics World, more to come. But this year, Angolim is it, it made the big time it has a very nice long feature article in the New York Times which if you have online access to New York Times or you're willing to use up one of your f- little free accesses is well worth a click it's a very good article uh, I said I was shocked shocked yeah. to see the New York Times covering Angolam because there's uh, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn too hard, but I think the Beat's been like the only site that's covered Angolem in depth. I think you're right. Uh, for about 14 years, you know, and um, I mean, uh, you know, other, other people site, link back to you. Other sites mm-hmm. have covered. I will say, there's a couple of other sites that absolutely write about the Grand Prix winner, but uh, you know, we've given like daily coverage of it, mm-hmm. even yeah. when I'm not there. So to see the Times pick the up time- on it. Yeah, and they did seem to try to give you a broad view of the whole show. They did, and they talked about some of the problems. Uh, in the French comics market, even yeah. though we think it's absolutely incredible, um, uh, that they quote, uh, Benoit Peter saying that there are, what I was told when I went five years ago, there are too many books. Like they're really flooding the market with too many books. And, um, you know, authors in France, uh, like there's unions for creative, uh, jobs and they're trying to get their union. They're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, get more, uh, recognition for their group and they're trying to organize a lot more. And, um, you know, there's there's definitely change afoot, as we'll be talking about a little bit longer. Well, the French market has this contradictory deal is that there's so many books published, so many artists working, uh, but comics sell in numbers there that are absolutely jaw-dropping, and they do it on a regular basis. Hundreds of thousands of comics. Uh, and it's really kind of amazing. So there's sort of like a golden circle at the very top. Yes, and, um, you know, a sea of really beautifully done books that they apparently can't sell. <laughs> well, you it's know. a smaller audience. It is, but I, there are more comics. Like, like Calvin is correct. <clears throat> I think the new Asterix has a print run of, what is it? Uh, then it's over a million. It will be. Oh, it's a, more like 10 million or something no, like that. Well, no, the print, no, well, I mean, the first printing. I mean, now, yeah. what, what will, may happen after it gets in the market? It, and in fact, why don't I talk about Ivanka a little bit? Yes, actually? please. Our, our good Since you brought Ivanka, up, I miss Ivanka. And, uh, and I, I had the fortune to talk with her just actually not too long ago, a couple hours ago. Calvin, and, identify her full name. Uh, Other people will think the wrong Ivanka, Ivanka. Hanenberger. Yes, Ivanka Hanenberger. Uh, and she is the general manager of VIP Brands, and she represents Glenat, among other French publishers, and, uh, as a rights um, person, uh, a rights uh, seller. 
and she is the new um uh what would you call it she's a new agent and representative for Asterix in North America yes which has in France a 5 million copy print run uh, well, according to her, it's, well, she, of course, the, the 38th volume will be published, I believe, in the fall of 2019. And she only would say that the first printing will be over a million. So maybe it's, yeah. That I big. mean, I've seen this number. I've yeah. seen numbers in the multi-millions. Though, uh, passed the, around. So. Without a doubt, these volumes do sell in those numbers. Yeah. Uh, With, just so I'm looking, I'm Googling as we speak, just like, you know how when you, like John King does that on CNN? That's what I'm doing right now. Yes, he's, uh, Asterix and the Pick sells 2 million copies in a week, and that's just in France. Uh, yeah. That's from 2013. That's so, from 2013. Yeah, it sells yeah. millions of copies. Yeah, it sells millions of copies. Duper, duper, it's incredibly. Now, it's been, been somewhat moribund, uh, in North America. Uh, that's why I think the representation for, uh, the series, for the rights, has been changed. Uh, so she's actually on the lookout for, um, you know, a new North American publishing licensee for this classic uh, European comic. Well, very cool. Yeah. Very, very so, cool. Uh, you know, I, I want to throw in there, uh, you know, these are impressive numbers. I guess sells 2 million copies. That's sell through, apparently. Um, but, you know, Dave Pilkey with his new Dog Man book, didn't that have a print run yeah. of like 5 million also? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, we're getting there. No, we're getting we're there. Getting I mean, Raina's, Raina's yeah. starting off with a million. Mm-hmm. And I think, don't Wimpy Kid get a couple of million? Aren't, isn't Wimpy Kid a Brit? No. No, 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 no. He's an American. No. <laughs> no, he's an American. And and you know and you, you know and there's some debate whether it's comics, yeah. but it's very comics. Well, he considers himself a cartoonist. When he he certainly does. He considers you know. himself yes, a cartoonist. Yes, he does. He does. And his um, comics were actually his first love. But... I think some of the children's literature people try yes. to, you know, yeah. massage yeah. him away yeah. from comics. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we I, know I, better. I, you know, we don't even have to count Wimpy Kid. But Dave Pilkey yeah. and Raina are getting With, million, yes, dollar, without a million copy print laid yeah. out. And, and Dogman's even more than that. Yeah, so he's, Dogman he's, is they're, gigant, enormous, uh, gigant, enormous. I mean, and it really is sort of amazing when you think about Raina when we knew her as a mini-comics maker. Yeah. And now she's one of the most popular cartoonists in the that's world. That's fantastic. It's awesome. It's really fantastic. It's really awesome. All right. Well, that's the good news. Yes. Now, the bad news is... Well, there's always some bad news. Yeah, there's some really interesting. Now, we've been alluding for the last four or five months to disruption and upset and rumors at uh, DC Comics. And yes. uh, last week, some of these rumors unfortunately came true with announcement that they had laid off 3% of their 200-plus employees but the 3% included three vice presidents, uh, Mark Chiarello, who was the art director, John Cunningham, who ran yeah, their entire sales de- like yeah, efforts. And kind of refocused their yeah. whole the publishing and retailing yeah. strategies. And then a the guy named Eddie Scannell, who nobody cared about. Uh, I don't mean to kick the guy <laughs> Sorry, down, but uh, he really, like, everybody thought he got laid off years ago. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, okay. But, but... Mark Chi, as he's universally known, and Cunningham were like massive, yeah. massive, the important people to DC's publishing. Uh, I would say they are both irreplaceable. In part, of course, every position can be filled, and yeah. a new person can come. You know, John Cunningham replaced Bob Wayne, who was irreplaceable, yeah. but John had become irreplaceable in his own way. And Chiarello, oh my God! I mean, Mark's a friend of mine. But mm-hmm. the outpouring on social media from every artist about how stupid, uh, you know, like how the, what a great artist he is, what a great, um, 
editor he is. He edited Black Man, ba- Batman, Black and White. Yeah, he edited yeah. Wednesday Comics. Uh, and he's even charge of some of the really creative ventures that they did. I know. Ever. Every project yeah. that I remember that he worked on were they beautifully sold. done. Mm-hmm. That giant Wednesday comic yeah. deal that was beautifully uh, conceived with great comics. So, sort of bizarre, but there you go. Yeah, uh, very strange. Uh, so then now, you know, things are on lockdown pretty tight over there, as, as you'd expect. But, uh, you know, just since then, hearing more and more rumors, like more layoffs are coming. Oh, I hope that's so. Hmm. Well, just that more layoffs are coming, which I think would be so sad. Uh, but I also hear that they are, and this was pretty much like Stacey, uh, Stacey uh, Pam Lifford, who now oh, yeah. took over mm-hmm. running DC, uh, uh, was very, she wrote a long memo to the staff that was released and, um, you know, it had some kind of corporate buzzwords that don't sound so awesome. If you want to, I mean, it sounds like she's trying to be, I don't know if you got it. It's there and yeah. Anyway, it's just uh, like, oh, we, we still love the direct market, you know, which is like, <laughs> you know, that's just like, like, yeah, Frederick Douglass is still alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like the more you say, oh no, we still love that. It means like, oh, you admit that maybe you didn't love it, you know? Uh, so, and then the rumors, I mean, there's a lot of rumors. I haven't not been able, everybody is on lockdown over there. So I haven't mm. even, you know, and also it's a sad time. I know that. I don't want to, even though I'm a cutthroat journalist, I don't like disturbing people when they're grieving. And, uh, but. Well, it's always uh, tough when people are laid off. Yes. Uh, however, I would say that there is no question but that DC is completely reorganized. Well, they reorganized it to three different departments, mm-hmm. right, Kelvin? Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, then they mentioned the, uh, uh, what was it? Yeah, what is it? Three, uh, editorial, um, it will be headed by, uh, um, Bob Harris, the editor, the editor in chief and senior vice president, publishing and manufacturing under Allison Gill. Uh, and Hank Knoltz will be, uh, uh, the senior vice president of publishing strategy and support. Right. Services. So they're basically putting publicity and marketing and everything under, uh, Hank Knoltz's division. So, uh, every, there's, there's been quite a bit of talk. Just people are getting reorganized, new jobs. Some people got promotions also. Uh, nothing I can confirm, mm. but, uh, this is really huge though. Everybody's like, you know, Comics Pro is next month and, uh, it should be very interesting. I mean, John Cunningham was so huge in dealing with retailers at DC. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see who's going to take over there mm-hmm. and who's going to be running things. But, um, yeah, this is really big. And John, uh, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was Kate. going to say, it, the memo includes this wonderful sentence. As the global brands and experiences structure continues to develop, I look forward to sharing more with you as that evolves. Yeah, evolves. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. The global I, brands ex- and experiences structure. Yeah. That's the bit where I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. John, John Cunningham was interesting because, you know, he came from book, he came from the book trade to DC and, uh, he was resolutely aiming at you know, in, in Books. rationalizing, yeah, in rationalizing DC practices to the book world, to this new market that really is where yeah. growth is happening. So it's very interesting to see him leaving now, um, you know, as we... Well, as, as DC Zoom and DC Inc. come DC out, those were all huge of these pushes. New he book was really behind those. In, um, Focus imprints are starting to come online, mm-hmm. including wanna, DC Black Label. And, and you know, to be honest, Eddie Scannell, who was let go, also was also in uh, like marketing, trade marketing, wasn't mm-hmm. he? I believe uh, his yeah, title I, was, I don't know as much about know, him. Yeah, well, nobody does. He was a shadowy yeah. figure, as we like to say. But um, yeah, his title was also um, 
I, I think he was in that. So yeah, but I mean, the last time I talked to John was, uh, for our library piece of the summer, mm-hmm. and he was going on and on about uh, Zoom yeah, Inc. and yeah, how awesome exactly, they were. Exactly, exactly. And t- t- proud as a peacock. Um, yeah. As well he should be. I thought it was yeah. like, um, yeah, well, yeah. So it's yeah. concerning. I, I, yeah. I'm very concerned by this. I'm very concerned by this move. And um, it's very interesting because he's one, he was one of those book trade guys who was a mammoth yeah. comics fan. Yeah. I mean, so he could turn his professional expertise to his fans' passion. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Eddie Scannell was the VP of consumer marketing. Uh-huh. So okay. interesting there. Yeah. Um, maybe not an impact player, but, uh, you know, we wish him well. We wish, you know, everybody's like Mark. Will be finer than fine because every he's loved. You know, Dave Johnson, the great artist, wrote on Facebook: "Spitting into the wind, starting a land war in Asia, investing in Enron, betting against the Patriots, laying off market." Uh, there you so, go. You no know, greater tribute. Yeah, there you go. For laying out what a <laughs> dumb move that was, or you know, but sometimes when they're doing this kind of restructuring, they lay off the person they know will get another job the easiest. Yes. <laughs> also, I will say this: both. Chiarello and Cunningham were like VPs, senior VPs. They undoubtedly did make quite a bit of money. Yeah. And if you were looking to streamline things, you would, they would be red flags. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. So, so just <laughs> to throw a little soup kind of intrigue into this. Now, Marvel has denied this. So I'm not saying this is true, but there is a lot of chatter out there. Uh, that I've been hearing, others are hearing, uh, that Marvel is also moving to the West Coast. Now, this is a perennial rumor, hmm. okay? It's just talk. It is just talk. But, you know, uh, as someone, it's like the intelligence. You know, they monitor channels, which is what I do. Chatter. You look for intelligence. You they monitor the chatter. You, you, monitor, you, for- <laughs> you, you, you monitor chatter, which is what I do. And I will say the chatter about this has spiked, uh-huh. okay? So does that mean they're moving? No, it doesn't. It but, means someone's talking about it. But it means somebody's talking about it. And also, in my Heidi sense, tingling, Uh-oh. something's up. Uh-oh. Something's up. When the yeah. Heidi verse gets yeah. going, let me tell you. Well, it's just no. I mean, it's just uh, like I said. I monitor. I monitor this, and uh, something's up. Something's up there. All I don't right. know what. And and uh, you know, just to be clear, I am not reporting that that they're moving. Marvel's moving. No, no. I am reporting not saying that. People are Your talking. People are talking about it in a very in a far up. more serious way than they usually yeah. are, and that could mean something. I don't know. Anyway, All right. So we hear there's terrorists also. Uh, we'll get on that too. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, more bad news. Yes. Coming up. Yep. Sorry. Um, Sorry. Yeah, we'll, that's. We'll, we'll get positive again. Yeah, eventually. Uh, but you know what? Um, one of the first comic stores, I moved to New York City in 1981. One of the first comic stores I developed, um, uh, I developed an attachment to, and one of the first stores I ever went to was St. Mark's Comics. And apparently it's closing now after 36 years. Yes. So uh, another sort of New York City landmark disappearing. Well, this was another story where that rapidly developed with some chatter. Like the chatter began on Wednesday. And um, and then as soon as I was checking that out, uh, the store tweeted that, yep, it's true, we are closing down. And uh, Mitch Cutler has been running the store that time he was a mere lad of 19 when he took over the store it seems that the owner at that point was sick of it and just said here kid you want to run this comic shop that's all right so as a teeny pam or i think he just said here's the keys kid good luck (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I, I don't know. It's a different comics world. I don't know. We should have, we days. should definitely have Mitch on the, on the podcast as a guest. I'm sure he could tell a lot of stories and, um. Yeah, I'm going to try and swing yeah, by as soon as I this, can. Well, they're having a sale. So yeah. if you're local, uh, I swung by yesterday or, uh, Thursday as we're, what is today? I don't today know. I'm a day Thursday. off. No, this, this happened Today's Tuesday. Thursday. So yes, this, this, I went by yesterday, which is Wednesday and you're listening to this and it's Friday. I know that much, but, um. I was strung by the store, talked to Mitch a little bit. You know, he he's very, he's kind of given a statement. He just said that it wasn't that anything had happened in comics in particular. You know, it's just there's so much that mitigates against running a small, re- you know, an independently owned retail store. But yep. in between comics and New York and the rent situation, mm. it just got to be the point where he just, he's done. He says he's been working 90 hour weeks and he wants to sleep for two weeks and, you know, he's, he's, ready he's ready to do something different and after 36 years certainly uh allowed but oh my god the memories i mean this i could not i've never seen anything like it like just that's where i discovered uh love and rockets i read an article in the village voice and i said well what is this comic and i went to saint mark's comics like immediately to try to find those books and that's where i found it that's the first place i found the, the the book collections um and I always found actually uh, St. Mark's to be kind of for comic shops of the period, uh, particularly in the eighties, uh, as the indie comic scene started to grow, they, they actually did a lot of the stuff that, you know, uh, that for instance, the comics journal was saying they were, they were moving the indie comics up front. They had a huge collection of, they were starting to really show off gra- graphic novels. They had manga, they had a manga section like no other at a comic shop at a, at a certain point. I mean, that was my, I mean, I lived on the Lower East Side in those years. I mean, I still do. Uh, even before I, I spent a little time in Brooklyn, but that's where I went. And even today, I still drop in every now and then, though I don't go as regularly to the stores I used to in the past. Well, I mean, it was always, for better and worse, a very almost stereotypically New York kind of store. Yes, it was very New York. I mean, when I was in college in Yonkers, and I and my college friends who like comics too would drop by New York. Well, it was convenient to ask your place, mm-hmm. which was a fun yeah. place to be. Um, but while you could definitely find unusual gems there, it was kind of hard to find exactly what you were looking for. Uh, for better and worse, like it would, there would be some serendipity where you'd find unusual things, but because it was so much treasure in such a small place. Sometimes it could be difficult to find the specific treasure you were looking for. So <laughs> when I uh, encountered Midtown Comics, which has a larger physical footprint, I, as someone who wants exactly what I want, who knows what I want in comics, kind of got more attached to Midtown as the store that I typically went to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I'm sorry, Kate, go and, on. And I don't, I think... I don't think I was alone in that. But I think it's because of the strong comics market they pioneered in New York and the modern comic store model they pioneered in New York that successor stores like Midtown were able to blossom. Well, I have found it it is kind of a nostalgic old fart thing a lot, like Calvin and 
Kanai, you know, people our age and, and within, you know, our age range definitely are like just crying now, you know? Yeah, that and was I a mean, nice store. I, I do find, I mean, certainly people Kate's age as well, but I do find like, you know, some of my younger staffers who write for the beat were like, well, I, I thought that store was just a mess. I didn't like shopping there. And <laughs> it's hard. it is. Well, let me tell you, we knew that back in the day. And you know, this was where I would hang. And when I first moved to New York, I lived like a block away. So I was there all the time. And, uh, I Mitch Cutler, the owner, mm-hmm. uh, he, we were involved because he helped out with the friends of Lulu. He was a supporter mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we got him on some of our retail bar, board stuff and he had women working in the store long yes, before. Yes, he did. Absolutely. He sure it did. was, um, you normal. know, normal. Mm-hmm. And he, you're right. He had manga. He had mini comics. He had yeah. all that stuff, but you couldn't find anything. And even the weekly <laughs> comics were like racked in some weird way. Like it wasn't <laughs> even alphabetical. And I finally said, Mitch, why, how are they racked? He said, well, I've got them racked by, you know, here's all these kind of comic and here's all that kind of comic. I said, but it's so hard. I said, why don't you just put a little card that says science fiction <laughs> up there? <laughs> you know, like if you go to the Tower Records a few blocks away, you'll see a sign that says techno. <laughs> I didn't say all that. And then Mitch said, you know, I do that on purpose. I do that so that you'll interact with the staff and you'll become more integrated into it. So he had a reason yeah, for yeah. some of the things he did. You know, <laughs> one thing that hasn't been mentioned too much and I didn't talk about it with Mitch is that they did do a, an Indiegogo last year and uh. they were looking to raise $75,000 to renovate the store. They only raised $1,000. Uh. So, you know, there was... That's tough. Yeah, it's one I of those that. things that everybody yeah. loved but nobody wanted to. Well, yeah. But on the other hand, if your business model needs to beg for $75,000, then maybe you need to work on your business model. Yeah. You know, I, I think we should, like, after some of this DC fallout, we need to, and Comics Pro, we need to do a show about retail. But just yes, to be clear, we we're, we're kind of running short on time because we have more interviews. I'm just going to throw this in there. I mean, um, it's very clear that what happened with St. Mark's is very specific to St. Mark's. Yeah. You know, yeah. the shopping district that it's part of yeah. has deteriorated, as have so many areas yeah. in New York. But it's this, good for restaurants. But the it's street, no longer good right, for shopping. But the street itself is definitely one of the really shocking declines of retail, unless you want to eat really yummy Japanese uh, bar food, because that's great. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of very specific things to St. Mark's, but... It there's is. Sunrise Mart and there's cocktails. I love Sunrise Mart. But oh Yakitori <laughs> Taisho right next door. Anyway. All right. <laughs> uh yeah. Anyway. End of an era. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. Um the briefs. And now the briefs. Calvin, do you want to lead off with your two briefs? Uh very quickly, um we've got a couple of stories about uh you know uh small publishers and startups. Uh Dinpa Books. Uh, a new uh, indie manga publisher launched by um, Ed Chavez, formerly the longtime marketing director of Vertical Comics here in, in New York City. Um, it, this is based in Portland, and um, they are launching with an eclectic list of indie manga. And also, uh, Z2 Comics, uh, uh, run by the co-publishers uh, Shreda Reddy and Josh Frankel, they've kind of come up with their own niche. They're publishing graphic novels based on music and it's usually each um each book has its own sort of soundtrack in some cases not all of them uh and it's it's turned out to be a kind of profitable and distinctive niche for them so go to publishersweekly.com slash comics and you can read it all read all about it okay so on a also light happy note um about a, a comics landmark which is returning 
In Japan, there is a famous apartment building <laughs> where Osama Tezuka and a number of other early manga creators all lived together in one two-floor apartment building, which had to be torn down for fire code reasons. But they are now rebuilding it as like a landmark recreation museum. It's going to be um, opening in, I think, 2020. And, uh, yeah, it, it's as if, it's as if, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby and Joe Simon were all neighbors. <laughs> sounds old like a sitcom, building. you know? <laughs> That's a sitcom I actually want to see. Uh, Take note, Netflix. Well, it's a really it, – just very quickly, um, in the massive uh, Tezuka manga biography, uh, uh, the uh, Osama Tezuka story, uh, there, is, there are endless sections about this apartment building and usually involving hordes of publishers sitting in the lobby, looking, scouting out, trying to get Tezuka, who would – Tezuka used to always be working on like Something. 20 projects at once. I mean, really, the story of – Tezuka's amazing and what he's able to do. But he was always hiding out from publishers who were like who staking knew where up, he lived. Who knew where he lived. So, it, I mean, there's endless stories in it about that apartment building in his uh, biography. So, On other good news, um, so the uh, Kickstarter has released their 2018 numbers, and apparently it was a record-breaking year for comics on Kickstarter. So they've, last year, $16 million in pledges were raised over the course of the year. And that was for comics, and that was a 26% increase from 2017. So, I mean, it cannot be said enough how much crowdfunding has done for comics, and the crowdfunding boom is by no means over. Yeah, and a big props to Camilla Zhang, who came on as their comics oh, yes. yeah, uh, yeah, category absolutely. lead, mm-hmm. and she's fantastic. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, it really provides a good source of support for her. Yeah. So, um, on a sadder note, uh, Rob Liefeld is leaving Netflix. So, <laughs> Rob Liefeld. Liefeld, Liefeld. <laughs> yes. On a sadder note, Rob Liefeld is leaving Netflix. Uh, so, Rob Liefeld, uh, known for, um, being very big in a certain era of 90s comics. Uh, exploding on the scene and then sort of becoming more niche and less fashionable, uh, had a Netflix deal. Well, he came back as Deadpool Daddy. Remember that? Right. Well, right. Because, because the, the creative children of his boom era slowly matured pop culturally and mm-hmm. became megaliths such as Deadpool and Cable and mm-hmm. others. Um, you know, so he's had a resurgent in recent years and, um, he had a deal with Netflix. Um, they have parted ways. He is pursuing other options. There will be more to come on that. And I think that wraps it up for this week, guys. All right. Oh, wait, we're no, missing wait some one yes. very important. We're missing, let's one. add it on a really up note. There's this a, is fantastic. Yes. yes. There's a manga note here. Yes, there is. So, previously on a recent episode of Publishers Weekly Comics World, more to come, we discussed the fact that uh, 
Shonen Jump, Young Jump, had, uh, was relaunching the United States as a website, which was free for the most recent, you know, um, few installations of the, installments of the series, mm-hmm. and then a very low, low $2 per yeah. month price for an immense back catalog. Yeah. But, but, wait, there's more! They <laughs> have released an international app, which it works worldwide anywhere but Japan, China, and Korea, where 30 of their major titles, some of which aren't even jump-related, will be available, uh, free and ad-supported in many much much back catalog and uh, it's downloadable to your phone tablet gadget of choice um so you know rejoice you malaysian comics fans <laughs> um you know if if you happen to be in jamaica this comics for you uh the international app has arrived that's right. fantastic really making it uh, more more manga more available that's right can't have too much manga there you go. Yeah, so uh, I mentioned a little earlier, but we've got interviews coming with Joel Christian Gill, who's the uh, author of Fast Enough, a new book coming out, for, a new children's picture book coming out from Lion Forge, and Amy Wright, librarian extraordinaire and one of the key organizers of the graphic novel Roundtable. Welcome to More to Come. Peter, become <coughs> Peter. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, this is Calvin, your rookie ALA reporter, uh, reporting once again from the floor of ALA mid, uh, uh, Midwinter. And this time I had the pleasure to be talking with Amy Wright. Now, I first met Amy when she was working at New York Public, and she was putting together a fabulous program uh, using the resources of New York Public and New York Comic Con. Uh, Amy, it's good to see you again. It's great to see you, Calvin. Thanks so much for coming to ALA Midwinter. We're excited to have you. Well, it's, it's exciting for me to be here. Uh, you know, I'm going to advertisement for myself. I'm on the Freedom to Read Foundation board, so that's why I'm here. And uh, so I spent a day sitting in a room yeah. fighting for you know, sitting in a room fighting for your right to read, whatever you want. Yeah. But now I'm back in my natural element, you know, stalking <laughs> comics people. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to bump into you. Yeah. So um, what I'd love to hear a little bit, you told me already, but tell me a little bit about about your path out of New York and back into studying comics. Absolutely. So uh, I was the manager of school outreach at the New York Public Library for Mm -hmm. about five years, uh, working on our school library partnership program, My Library NYC. Mm -hmm. And as part of that program, we had a special collection that we loaned out to schools. Uh And one of the best things was this is right at the moment, Common Core is being introduced in New York and March happens. And Mm -hmm. so we had the great pleasure of having thousands of copies of fantastic comic books like March, Mm -hmm. uh, George O'Connor's Olympian series, Reyna's books, all of these books that we started loaning out to schools and we noticed how popular these were but also a lot of the teachers we were working with were like I'm really excited about comics but I don't know what to do and so that culminated in uh, 2017 we did a full day of professional development at the New York Public Library for New York Comic Con Uh, we had 25 sessions that first year and we really based it on a model San Diego's done great professional Mm -hmm. development for librarians and educators for several years Um, big shout out to Erwin who's at San Diego Public (laughs) Library he's amazing and also the Toronto Comic Arts Festival which is awesome 
so yes, in May. Everyone. I'll be there. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'll, I'll look yeah. for you again. All right. And so I love that show. Oh my God, it's, it's one of the yeah. best. And it's in the most awesome library you can imagine. Yeah, the I mean, library is yeah. exceptional. No, and it gave us a really great blueprint mm. for how we could do it. Um, one of the things we were really happy to do at New York in 2017, and it continued in 2018, is we really used our research collections to even better draw the linkage for teachers between political cartoons, archival research, mm -hmm. and using popular culture items like comics in the classroom. So for me, that kind of really sparked a great desire. I wanted to go back to school for a long time. So I left New York. I was in Edmonton for a year. Mm -hmm. I'm a dual citizen between the U.S. and Canada. Because uh, I was looking for you, yeah. and then you were gone. But yeah. but that, but that I knew you were off yeah. doing something interesting, yeah, wherever so you were. I had a great job in Edmonton. Um, it, that was actually really great to reconnect with the Canadian comic scene. Um, one of the comics that we've seen a lot of curriculum adoption for in Canada is called The Outside Circle, um, which is a comic book actually written by Dr. Patty Lobocaine Benson, who's actually a senator now in Canada. Wow, okay. And it's okay. based on research working with indigenous groups um, talking about issues of intergenerational violence. Wow, and, this sounds uh, great. Yeah. yeah, and so that was really awesome. I actually got to meet her, uh, work with um, the illustrator on the comic, Kelly Mellings, who's amazing. And so it was nice to like have that again. So where is this comic? Is it Where can you... Um, uh, Heads of a Nancy publishes it. It's uh -huh. called The Outside Circle. So okay. I definitely give a huge shout out for that. Okay. And then finally, I'm like, I gotta just go back to school and study comics. Self-improvement, <laughs> but uh, but you're yeah. a librarian, so if you're improving yourself, you're going to help other people exactly. connect with new yeah. stuff, too. And so one of the things I most want to do is look at how we can improve accessibility of collections, mm -hmm. using comics as my focus, but also using comics as a way to study how we can incorporate other, quote, non-traditional items better in the library. So how can we incorporate archival research, mm -hmm. ebooks, audio material, all of that stuff? Fabulous. And then I'm also super active with the roundtables. So. Now this is yeah, this is another thing that I want to yeah. know more about. It. I mean, my, my co-host uh, Heidi McDonald yeah. had kind of wrote, wrote, wrote a little bit about the beginnings of the uh, the organization. Story. Yes, yes, Year exactly. One. So, but now tell <laughs> us, tell our listeners, what is the graphic novel roundtable and what yeah. does it do and how does it function in the library world? Sure. So, in uh, the American Library Association, um, we have lots of different divisions, we have roundtables, we have member interest groups, so for the longest time, the graphic novel and comics, we were what was called a member interest group, so mm -hmm. a, basically a grassroots um, group of librarians that were all interested in comics, and mm -hmm. we supported each other, but it was very informal. Yeah. Um, one of the things we would do is help do professional development programming at like New York or San mm -hmm. Diego, C2E2, mm -hmm. and then finally we had enough interest and enough of us who were like, we need to make this official, y'all. So um, at ALA Annual in New Orleans in uh, June 2018, we put together a petition. We had to get a certain quorum of people, so mm -hmm. we had to get more than a thousand different signatures from librarians ah. around North America saying they would pay dues for this and that they thought it was oh, cool. important and they really wanted there to be an official roundtable. I think for all of us, what it means... So you had to get a thousand yeah. signatures from librarians around the country. Yep. So, and clearly you got it. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and so that's yeah. exciting to hear. Oh my yeah. gosh, it was fantastic. Yeah. I think for all of us, we knew that people were excited, but to see the outpouring of support and enthusiasm, we had a lot of people say... I haven't been a member of ALA for a long time. I'm going to rejoin ALA because of this roundtable. Oh, I love yeah. to hear it. Well, that's because librarians are awesome. Yeah. But, but but you know that. Yeah, we like the yeah. yeah you, you keep it on the down low, but yeah. yes, you're kind of awesome. All right. Um, so what will you be doing now that you indeed are an official? Official roundtable. Yeah. 
So what's exciting about Midwinter, this is our first official conference being an established roundtable. So we have our first official board meeting, we have a membership meeting, and our first official round of elections are coming up. Mm -hmm. So ALA Annual will have our first official slate of officers inducted. Right now, uh, members of the organizing team, uh, we have been acting as a de facto like members at large as mm -hmm. we have put the establishment together. But what we've already noticed, even in year one, is like having this umbrella for professional development and support has given all of us just a great community. It's really mm -hmm. solidified yeah, sure. this community and we've been able to pull together our resources. Uh, we did a series of webinars actually partnering with Image and the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund for Ben Books Week. So we had five uh -huh. webinars, librarians talking to creators all about book challenges. It was awesome. Um, we've already done a huge professional development event at New York Comic Con. So that was our first big official event as cool. a roundtable. We had 30 professional development sessions in a single day this past year at New York Comic Con. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, now, <laughs> for, for those of us who are not the members of the profession yeah. but are like desperately interested in yeah. it, can we get, can, can in civilians get uh, get on your mailing list or oh, kind of be updated on what's going on? Yep, so the best way is to find us on social media. So mm -hmm. we're on Twitter, Instagram, we have a Facebook page, and our handle is libcomics, so L-I-B-C-O-M-I-X. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, you're going to hear from me. Okay. <laughs> As you can probably <laughs> guess. Uh, so All the library conferences from now on, right? <laughs> uh, yes, that's that's for sure. Well, you know, um, I, you know I, I, after this interview is over, I want to talk to you about something else. Sure. Because um, one of the things I'm doing on the, the well, I'm on the Freedom the Re Foundation board yeah. is sort of suggesting things that might help them in some way with their membership and their outreach. Yeah. And of course, I think comics are the answer oh to almost gosh. everything. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I, I will talk to you yeah. more about this after this interview absolutely. is over. Uh, look, this has been really great to see you again, and it sounds like your plans for the future are really interesting, and yep. you're going to be around helping comics for a while to come. Well, we like to say comics are for everybody, and I think the biggest yes. thing is we've seen, even within our own profession, we have librarians from academic libraries, school yeah. libraries, public libraries, um, comic shop owners, advocates, like people, comics-adjacent library, everything. Yeah, sure. It's a great way to bring people together. Just like it's a great platform for storytelling, it's bringing all of us together, too. Okay. Well, uh, if Publishers Weekly can do anything oh, to help you out uh, in any way. Well, I have you on tape now. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, so it's I'm shouting out to the world. Just you let me know. You know where to find me. Yes. Anyway, Amy, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you so much, Colin. Take care. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, uh, this is uh, the, your rookie ALA midwinter <laughs> correspondence. And I say that because this is my first uh, visit to the American Library Association midwinter meeting. But I'm here talking once again uh, with Joe Christian Gill, author of Strange Fruit. Um, uh, what's the other? Tales, I'm, 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 Tales of the Tales of Tales of Ten. Magnificent short stories about African American history. Yeah. Joel, thank you once again for being on More to Come. You're very welcome. Uh, and now, what, what? One of the things we're talking about here is that uh, I'd love to know about your experience at ALA. Okay. Uh, and to talk about your new book, Fast Enough. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and this is our my second <laughs> encounter. We were at the Black Comic Book Festival in New York, and now we're in uh, Seattle. So, I know. It's, like you a weekly, know, we, it's a weekly thing. Yeah, we get around. You know, <laughs> and it's, uh, don't be jealous. We're just doing our jobs. It's coastal. All right. right. But yes. So, so tell us about Fast Enough. So Fast Enough is about um, Bessie Stringfield. I did it. Mm -hmm. I did a full biography of Bessie Stringfield in Tales of the Talented Tenth Volume mm -hmm. Two. 
Uh, and then I had an idea about doing a story about Bessie as a little girl. Like, I just made it up. Like, this is just a fictional story about mm-hmm. Bessie and thinking about all the challenges that little girls have to face, or kids in general. Like, mm-hmm. always being told that you're not this or you're not that. And um, and I'm like, you know, imagine what Bessie would have been told when she was a kid, when she wanted to do, when she wanted to ride fast. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I thought, like, how about I do a story about Bessie doing, uh, having a race with these little boys in her neighborhood and winning the race. Like, learning yeah. that she is fast enough and winning the race. And so that's the impetus behind Fast Enough, Bessie Stringfield's first yeah, Great. Um, well, this is your specialty. You're bringing out these incredible stories about African-American achievement. Um, what's been the reception here at ALA? Is, and, and is this your this is your first time here? No, this is no? my third time. Your third time. Yeah, so I was well, in you were Las made Vegas. for this. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, you were meant for this thing. I mean, it's kind of crazy because, you know, you you when we go, like, you go to cons, which is different. Like, selling books at a, at a show is different. Mm. But, like, here it's more like each person that you talk to is the potential to be multiple people. Right. Yeah. So like you talk yes. to a librarian, mm-hmm. librarians are gonna, you know, like hand hold your book out to the kids to them see it. Mm-hmm. And you talk to a bookseller, they're gonna hand hold your book out. So like going to these kind of events, every person you talk to has the potential to be multiple people. Mm-hmm. Whereas like going to a con, it's like I'm, it's this volume, right? You need to talk to yes. like you know, two hundred <laughs> people because that's what you know, those are the two hundred people you're gonna talk to. Yeah. But here it's like every person has the potential to be thousands. So. Yeah. Well it I mean the 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 ability of librarians obviously to connect you with so many different kinds of readers. I mean, I do think sometimes forget the power of libraries in our society so much. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm, in the, I'm I'm working on another book now called Fights, which is about my life. And mm-hmm. one of the big portions, uh, there's a big part of like how the library was important for me because I was, grew up a poor kid in the South, mm-hmm. but we were like a block or two from the library. And so like I didn't have I didn't have money to mm-hmm. go to like movies and TV and everything else. But like I literally just spent hours in the library mm-hmm. and have stacks of books because that's what I did. Yeah, and so and. I think that the, I think people we we need we need to spend more time connecting to libraries. Um, yes. And comics and graphic novels are a way that librarians are really like that's how they're pulling people in. Like let's put a bunch of comics on the shelf and the students are coming in. So I think um, getting kids in the library is great because if you can get them to love the library, then you know like they'll come in for the comics, but they'll stay for the autobiographies and they'll stay Absolutely. for the science. You know they'll yeah. stay for the journals. You know, and I think that's really important. And then in Strange Fruit. I actually thank the librarians at my school, mm-hmm. at, where I teach at the New Hampshire Institute of Art, for like helping me with the research because I don't think it's like librarians are underappreciated. Yeah, in yeah. general, like we they they serve a, per, a super important function in society, not just like in education, just like places for people to go and learn things and gather and that kind of thing. Yeah. So. And of course, they have been really critical and really in bringing this category into the mainstream of American publishing. Absolutely, librarians have been out front, just as you said, they recognize how this is a magnet for young readers, yep. but also they've recognized that this is just a magnet for reading of any kind, and that this is a this is a neglecting sort of parallel stream of American literature. Yeah, and I think the thing that's really interesting about comics, and I mean, I, it's funny because I still think of Fast Enough, even though it's a picture book, I think about it as a comic, yeah. I think of it as like, you know, 38 big panels as opposed to like, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, you know, like, I think... Um, Librarians are really, have been really important in like turning the idea from like comic, co- reading comics isn't really reading, mm-hmm. you know, into like something that like one of the things I found was really interesting is that um, either Raina Telgemeier's book Sister or Smiles, one of those two, have a higher word complication than Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and so like, and I love Harry Potter. This isn't yeah. like a dig at Harry yeah. Potter, but like, just think like that. This comic book that we don't like, people still don't, in a lot of ways, don't think is yeah, no, reading yeah. is way more. Complicated 
complicated this sort of book than this like serious chapter, you know, like this chapter book. And so I think that people need to get off the high horse because comics and this these kind of, this kind of book, these kind of stories are a sneaky way to teach to do kids yeah. stuff. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and, and, and it's also been documented in, in research that really, uh, particularly for nonfiction, comics actually is better at like transmitting knowledge, better at giving you a concrete understanding of a topic when you can put the when you get that great perfect combination of words and images. Yeah, and I think really that's well. that's what it is. It's like activating two parts of your brain because mm -hmm. a lot of kids are visual learners, yep. and so you yep. give them yep. a comic, and now they're like they're sort of putting it together. And some of them who who wouldn't get that if they just read a biography mm -hmm. or they read a short paragraph or something. So like giving them those two things, like it makes them excited. It's like oh now I've got something to connect it to. So I think that we just need to spend more time like making sure that people understand that this is a, a valid medium for storytelling of all kinds not just superhero stories um, but superhero stories are important they are, but not but, just in superhero but that's, stories that's a key element that, yeah. that you know the comics we love superhero stories but right. comics is really covers the whole range of storytelling yeah you know fiction non-fiction and all so yeah. and it, we, we need to remind people because Americans still sometimes lapse into this notion that comics means only one thing yeah I mean it's like I just had a conversation with a cab driver when I was coming when I was in New York last mm -hmm. weekend, and I was like, I'm here drawn, um, to talk about comics. And he was like, all right, Marvel or DC? <laughs> and I said, well, first of all, let me just ask you this. If you were to um, to yeah. give Stephen King a ride, right? Mm -hmm. And you know Stephen King draws, just like writes horror, right? Would you ask him about Dur Doris Kern Goodson's book? Like, you wouldn't ask her about, like, what do you think about... Um, um, Cabinet of Equal, you know that book she wrote about yeah, yeah, yeah. Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, you yeah, wouldn't ask yeah, her yeah. about that, right? Yeah. You wouldn't ask, um, what's his name? Um, the science guy. Um, um, what, uh, uh, what is it? Bill Nye? Bill Nye. Yeah, yeah. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't get in the car with Bill Nye. Like, you, you write books about science. Like, what do you think of, you know, you know J.K. Rowling's new book? You know, or would you say to him, uh, nuclear physics or chemistry? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't do that, I mean, right? You, you know, you would, you would want to know, uh, you, would, you would want to ask him about his interest in a broad yeah. range. Well, that's, uh, that is where we're at, but it's changed dramatically, obviously, but there's still more change to come. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but tell us now, you've got a new publisher now uh, for this book, yep. Lion, Lion Forge. Lion Forge, yeah. Yep. And uh, are you going to, are events lined up? What's the pub date for the book, by the way? Um, February 5th. February 5th. Yep. So right on, we're, yep. we're nearing it. Are you going to be doing other events uh, to publicize it, I, I or are you not sure I, just I, yet? I'm not sure yet. Uh -huh. I'm sure there's going to be some more, more mm. events. Um, I, I'm... Black History Month is the month that people are usually like ringing my phone. So yeah, I'm like, I'm be, like speaking at a couple of places. No doubt. Um, so, but I'm sure I'll have other things up there. So, but working with Lion Forge has been great. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they're like they're they're up there with Fulcrum for me. Fulcrum is like yes, they're yes, my and people. they're doing yeah. the, 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 the yeah, other series. So of Fulcrum are my people. Uh, Lion Forge are my people. Too. Now, the so other book like you mentioned, uh, the memoir autobiography fights. Yeah, is that? Do you have a publisher for that? Is yet? Yeah, that's that's Lion Forge. Lion Forge is going to be doing that too. How far out are we from that? Next summer. Next summer. Yeah, okay. 2020. So uh, I'm working on it right now. I'm about done with it um, as much as you can do. But it's uh, it's funny because it's like I'm not writing about somebody else. I'm writing yeah, about myself. Yeah. Well, you got a little like, piece of black history, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, Joe, look, this is great. Uh, it's good to see you again. It's good, good to see you here surrounded by librarians. Yes, and, you know, I'm impressed by that, too. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, good. Thanks for being on More to Come again. You're very welcome. Anytime. Uh, you Anytime. bet. All right. And on that note, there will be... More to come.